Uh, keep your Bibles open there. We're going to go through that in just a moment. Um, many of you have probably heard the story or something about, maybe in history class or from the movie Amazing Grace, uh, something of the story of William Wilberforce. He was a British member of Parliament um, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, that really led the charge um, to, that, to abolish the slave trade in England. Um, so maybe you've heard part of that. Um, but perhaps what you haven't heard is that before he began his campaign against the slave trade as a member of parliament in, in the political world, that he actually considered leaving politics, conceive, considered leaving his position in parliament, and going into vocational ministry. Um, and a guy by the name of John Newton actually talked him out of it. John Newton um, is the author of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, and was a pastor um, at the time, and friend and mentor of William Wilberforce's. And uh, as we went to talk to him, um, Newton said he talked him out of it. Can you imagine talking to somebody out of vocational ministry? and be like, no, I really don't think he should. The reason why John, John Newton leaned in and said, hey, I, I believe you actually should stay where you are and serve God where you are. He said, maybe, just maybe God has you here in this place for his purpose. Sounds a little bit like Esther, doesn't it? But you see, the, the, the tension that Wilberforce was experiencing was due to this awakening that he had to a spiritual reality where God had called him back to himself and, and he had this um, you know, new life in him and he, and he realized, okay, Jesus is Lord and he's worth everything and all, the only thing that matters is Jesus, so I need to give my life fully to him. And so he thought that that meant he needed to leave the work he was in and go into vocational ministry. And so he was sort of in this tension that I think a lot of us experience and it's this, does our work matter to God? Does our work, which is what you do Monday through Friday or whatever your schedule is, does it matter to God? What is what you do outside of these roles, like your role, your career, does it matter to God or is it just this secondary thing that you have to do in order to earn a living, right? But the work that really matters to God is, right, uh, like ministers and missionaries and things like that. And so the rest of us just kind of have to endure so we can support that work. So maybe you've not thought about it in those terms, but perhaps you've experienced this. You know, we talk about the disconnect all the time between, you know, people come to church and, and, um, and then it, it doesn't, it, like there's this disconnect between what we do on Sunday mornings and maybe the rest of our life. And we talk about that and maybe you felt that or experienced that or prayed about that or heard a pastor or a church leader talk about that. But the reality is, it, like that's on the church oftentimes for not informing how we actually approach work. And answering the question, does our work matter to God? And so thankfully, God is not silent on the matter. He's actually spoken, even though the church may have been at different times, um, God has spoken a good bit on our work and does it matter and how it matters. And so let's look at Colossians. Look at, look at this passage today um, here together. And we see, we start um, in verse 17. And, and um Though the context of this passage isn't, isn't directly about work, it's not less than that. It's actually part of an even greater point that Paul is making to these people, uh, that God cares about every part of our life and the everyday parts of our life. He's just uh, really spent the rest of the book talking about how the gospel changes everything and how we are to put on the new self and live life in a new way. But that's not just about what we do on Sunday in the spiritual realm. That's about everyday type of stuff. And so in verse 17, he says, And whatever you do, 
in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he starts talking about really practical stuff. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's important. You can't just, some people just want to read 18 and stop there and make a whole you know, doctrine out of that. You need to read 19 as well. Every time there's talking about submission in the household by a wife, like it is in the context of the husband loving the wife as Christ loved the church. And we're talking also about living out the image of Christ as he submitted to God the Father. Wives are called to submit to the, the husband as the head. Of, so it's always in context of the husband leading sacrificially and loving them and not being harsh with them. Okay, so you can't take one of, you can't take that out of context without the, the husband leading the way he's supposed to. And the, the submitting is not going to go the way it is supposed to. But he goes on to even more practical things. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, again, he's not directly or specifically or only talking about work here. He's talking about a much bigger picture. But the the big, big idea is that God cares about the everyday parts of our life, not just the Sunday parts, not just the Christian parts, not just the spiritual parts. Whenever we're doing mission work or evangelizing, sometimes we just sort of tack on our work. Well, we should be using our work to evangelize, and, and we should. It's not less than that. But, but what the, the point of this passage, and really lots of, uh, this is really a thread throughout the, the Bible where you see that the point is that God does care about the everyday stuff, not just the Sunday stuff. He cares about what happens in your home, not just what happens in church. And he cares deeply about it. Why? Because it's a part of the way that he made this earth and he made our lives to function in a certain way. And he called it good, right? That it's good in its original design. And that's sort of the, the whole point of, of this series. We're talking about the, the, the large narrative of what God is doing in our lives and where this whole deal is heading. The tagline is sort of is understanding our present in light of God's future, right? Where is God taking this whole deal? And and what is how does that inform where we are now? And so the big narrative of the scripture can be described in creation, right? That God created everything and it was good, and then fall, right? With sin entered and fractured everything and it became not good because we messed it up. And then redemption, right, where Jesus purchases our salvation. But then this last part has really been the focus of our of our sermon series, creation, fall, redemption, and then what? Escape? No, restoration. So it's creation, fall, redemption, Jesus makes a way, and then it's restoration. We looked at, Jesus says, I'm making all things new. I'm reconciling this broken world into myself. Romans 8 says it's the whole earth is, is, is groaning and waiting for the coming of Christ whenever he makes all things back into the way that they were meant to be. Revelation 21 it talks about making all things new and, and the new heaven and new earth, like coming together where God is, is, is dwelling with his people once and for all and putting things back into his design, not crumbling this whole thing up and starting over and we get to go live somewhere else like a new planet. No, 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 a restored planet, a new form of earth where all the evil and its effects have been done away with and we experience what God designed for us in the first place. So creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And that's the important part is to understand that the restoration part, if he's indeed uh, restoring all things, then we, we got to look at, okay, that's a part of our life right now. Like that informs our life right now, and that informs specifically work. But this has been one of the most, it's like 
the things I've been most eager to share with you is we talked about this series. What informed, I think, the need for this series a lot of times is because there are people who think that God's mission is just to get his people off this earth so that once he's got all his people off, he can sort of, you know, burn this whole thing and start over and we all go be in heaven with him. And in reality, the, the story of the Bible is that heaven is coming to be with us. He will have to do some work here on this earth to get it ready, right? He will do away with all the evil. But the point is not escaping. The point is restoring. And if that is true, and I, and I believe it is, that's really been the point of the whole series, then, then it changes everything, right? And the, the misunderstanding there that, that happens a lot of times is we've been taught that, that um, the material world, the physical world, our bodies, this world, is, is inherently bad. Right? And what's good is our spirit, and that that is what God is really worried about, is getting that part out of this whole deal, and, you know, and we'll just leave, live with him in these you know, heavenly bodies that are di- sort of disconnected from what we know now, when in reality there's much more continuity. Different, yes. Uh, a different form, yes. Our, our bodies will be transformed, but in reality the, the picture we get in the Bible is that this will be a very earthly, a very physical heaven that we experience with God in the new heaven and the new earth, like that it will be made new. And that changes everything. That means that the physical world's not bad. In fact, it inherently is good. God called it very good. Not just our body. Like, you read Genesis' account, and he makes stuff, right? He looks at it, he says, man, it's good. He makes some more stuff, says, it's good. He makes, he gets finished, he says, this is really, really good. And so what he's doing in the end is getting back to that, when things were really, really good, before we messed it up with our sin. So the point is that the physical world is not bad, and so there doesn't need to be this disconnect between spiritual work and, and doing you know, God's work in, in, the, in the terms of you know, making disciples and evangelizing and trying to get as many people on the, the lifeboat of the gospel as possible. Instead, it's much more combined. It's mu- there's much more continuity between our everyday lives and our spiritual lives than many of us realize. And, and, and understanding this will help us to have joy and purpose in our Monday through Friday. So what we see here is, is Paul is urging the people of, uh, here in Colossians to, to live out the new life in Christ, and it is a holistic life that he is calling them to. It's not this disconnected, do this in the church world and then do whatever you have to the rest of the time so you can get back to what really matters. No, he's talking about all aspects of life, our home, family, marriage, kids. All of it is a part of God's kingdom as we live out his design for it under his rule, as we do family God's way, as we do Marriage, God's way, as we do parenting, God's way, under his rule, we are bringing his kingdom to bear on this world. Because those things are all a part of the original design. He meant for us to have families, husbands, wives, kids, and, and he meant for us to have jobs even, as we're going to see in just a moment. But as we do things, we are bring, like, do things God's way, even the everyday things, we are bringing his kingdom to come, his kingdom to bear on this world. That's what this whole series is about. When Jesus tells us to pray, Father in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've talked about the kingdom grows as we share the gospel and more people get saved and born again. And the kingdom grows in number in that way, right? As we evangelize, more people join the kingdom and it grows in number. It also grows in its depth as it grows in us, right? As we grow in holiness and we become more and more like him, his kingdom advances in each one of his people, and then, but also, it's, so that's sort of clear. We're used to talking about those things in church. But when it comes to the everyday things of life, we feel like it's just sort of this disconnected stuff that we got to do. And this is what God really cares about. Whenever what Paul is saying here is, no, 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 
it, it's all affected by the gospel. And it, all of this was, was good and right in the Genesis design. And he's not throwing all that away just to get us off this deal. He's making it all new. And so the, the, the everyday parts of our life do matter. And so he talks about husbands, wives, kids. All of that was a part of the original design. And so and we sort of talk about that stuff, right? We're not going to spend a ton of time on the family because we talk about that more commonly in the church. That's not all that surprising to us, right? But what we might not be as familiar with is when Paul begins to take it outside of the nuclear family and talk about our workspace, our vocation, right, our career. So before we can address sort of the rest of that, we've got to uh, bring some clarity on the language there because there, this, this is not obvious to everybody when we start talking about bond servants or slaves and earthly masters. We need some clarity on what's going on there because in our context, we can read that through what we know, what we've experienced in our American history, and that carries a, a label or a weight of, of the evil world of, of really you know, human trafficking, purchasing people as property, using them as uh, property and owning that, like the the American slave, um, horrific part of our history that, that we that we know. Sometimes we we read that into this when in reality we, we we need to understand a little bit of the context of what's going on here. When the Bible uses the word servant or bond servant or slave, uh, there, there, there's a different context that's going on here. It's, it doesn't carry that same weight. And in fact, there's there's several different meanings to the word, the Hebrew and the Greek word. The Greek word is doulos, and it, and it can mean slave, it can mean bond servant, it can mean just servant, and it has different sort of implications depending on the context. But this, um, in the, like, there's different parts. Like, okay, so there's different types of slave. And yes, slavery existed in the Bible, um, and sometimes it was indeed close to what we know, right, in our world. Sometimes it was people being captured or treated as property. We even see God's people under that rule in Egypt, right? We see God's people being treated as slaves. We see other times that that, that does happen as people are conquered in war. But each time you see that there is, um, that God is not okay with that. That God is not okay with that sort of treatment of people. And in fact, even whenever there is servitude in like the society in which God has sort of created, there's always provisions and protection and rights written into God's law, even in the Old Testament, to protect those that are in servitude. But what we ought to know is that this is a lot different, right? That, that this type of slavery or bond servant is something that could have been entered into voluntarily oftentimes. Sometimes you're born into it. Sometimes it was about war. But oftentimes, especially in the New Testament, when the bond servant is used, this is something that people would enter into, again, very often voluntarily either to uh, pay off a debt or just to straight up avoid poverty. They have no way to provide for their family, so they would indenture themselves to, to serve under a master, to serve someone um, for a specific length of time, usually a long period of time. Um, and they were indeed in, like in servitude to those people. But the difference is that the, the, sla- the bond servant was still allowed to own property, still allowed to achieve social status, and to eventually you know, purchase their freedom or to be released after their time was earned. So this is not the same sort of slavery that, that we know about. So I'm not going to belabor this a ton. If this is super concerning to you, I don't want you to leave here disconcerted about that. I would, I would love for you to grab me afterwards and talk more. You could send me an email. Um, right down your app, if you, you just hit the, the questions button there on this weekend, you can send me an email. I'll be glad to unpack this more with you. It's not the, the point of what we're saying today. I just can't go over it without addressing it so that everybody's not sort of hung up on that. But that's sort of the big idea. Is it's, it's very much a different context. This is everyday life for these people. When, when the people would read this, they're not thinking uh, the evil that you and I are familiar with. So the point is that 
Paul is moving out of the nuclear family household and into the work and vocation space and talking about the implications of the gospel and the implications of the new kingdom on our career, on how we live in the work or in the world of our work. So this is huge. If we look at it in terms of the restoration narrative, right? Too often we think of it, of work as something that we have to tolerate or too often I've heard this taught that work is a result of the fall, right? That we think about, we go back to the Genesis 3 text whenever God talks about, okay, now work is going to be difficult, right? Thorns and thistles, and it's going to like push back against you. And we think, okay, well, that's when work came into place. When in reality, work and vocation and our jobs was there before the fall. Like it was a good part of God's creation. Genesis 1, uh, 27 and 31 talks about this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. There's work involved in that already. Have dominion over the fish of the sea. That's going to take work over the birds of the air, the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with, with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. This is God's creation. Physical, plants, animals, people, go enjoy. That's your food. Cultivate it. Have dominion over it. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God made the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. That's all well before the fall. Well within God's good design of what he declared to be very, very good. So the point is that work is a good part of God's design. Again, yeah, Genesis 3, after the fall, he says there's going to be big implications for work. It's going to, it's going to, like, it's going to work against you now. It's going to be difficult and hard and, and straight up awful sometimes, right? Anybody experience that? But that's a result of the fall. It doesn't mean that work itself is bad. It means that sin has fractured it and made it working against us. So, we talk about all the time how we're made in the image of God, right? We talk about that all the time, and it has many implications. But what we don't often apply that to is our work, right? We think mostly like the spiritual realm, but when we think about it, in Genesis, what do we see God as? What do we see him doing? He's creating things, right? I think certainly as I've seen some sunsets and full moons and then things like that recently, like I certainly have to attribute God as, like, as an artist, right? That he's... He's very like artistic in, in the, the beautiful nature of his creation. But I think most specifically and most clearly, we see God as a straight-up gardener, right? He makes this garden for his people, and he says, okay, now work it and keep it. Like, he creates this. Like, so we see God at the very beginning physically working as a gardener. And then we see him in the New Testament. What does Jesus come as? A carpenter. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't come as a philosopher. He doesn't come as a general. He comes as a carpenter. He, like, our God is very connected with the ins and outs of our, of our world. And that means that, like, his creation was made in such a way that there's all sorts of things to, to subdue and have dominion and to cultivate in our world as we build buildings, build society, build infrastructure and technology, all of that. Like, there's opportunities for everybody to serve in different ways, and no way is too small or too meaningful or meaningful to, to not have, like, it does not matter to God. All of it matters to God. It, it's, it's a part of his original design that each one would play their part in the subduing and filling and cultivating of this world. We see him appear as a gardener and as a carpenter. It's incredible. Um, Tim Keller puts it this way, uh, which, by the way, is a great book on your app. If you go to this weekend, it's called Every Good Endeavor, that I'm going to take a lot of what I've, I've said from, and I, I'd encourage you to 
uh, read if you're interested in, in learning more. But he says, work is so foundational to our makeup, how God made us, that it is one of the few things that we can take in significant doses without harm. Just think about this. Indeed, the Bible says that we should work, or the Bible does not say that we should work one day and rest six, does it? Or that work and rest should be evenly balanced. Instead, it directs the opposite ratio, right? That leisure and pleasure are great goods, but that we can only take them in doses, right? We can only take so much of relaxing and pleasure, that what we need, what we're made for, is primarily work. Work six days, rest one. It's interesting. The big, big idea is that work is good. It's in God's original design. It's not a result of the fall. The fall has affected it. But work in itself is good. So verse 20, so that, that's the big idea. And that's what Paul's saying is it has implications for every part of our life. Verse 23, though, it says, Whatever you do then, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Here's the, here's, the, here's the deal. There's no, here's what happens in churches a lot of times. Like we, we sort of over-romanticize or celebrate the calling of someone into ministry, right? And, and oftentimes we're talking about that a person is called to, to do something like I do or something like Alex does and work for the church and do like their vocation, their Monday through Friday is, is literally the work of the church or a missionary to go overseas and we sort of celebrate that call into ministry and, and what that does is it sort of separates like creates this divide between okay the work that you know seemingly really matters to God and and then okay everybody else has just got to do their thing and you know support what really and really the Bible never goes there the Bible never does that in fact the Bible talks about us all being priests that that there's no longer this, this holy position of you know, mediator between, like you don't have to come to me for me to go to God for you. In fact, you have access to God through Jesus Christ, and so therefore the priesthood of the believers extends to all of you. And that sort of starts to frame up what he's been talking about. As, we, as he said, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. Like you're going to go and be a witness to the world. Through you, the world is going to hear about God. And that doesn't mean that we all get called into vocational ministry. What that actually means is that we're all already in ministry, and the way that that pans out just looks different based on the details. But it's no less or more important. Just think about it. What would the world look like if all if everybody was called into vocational ministry? Everybody that got saved, he plucks them right out of the workforce and into church work. What would it look like? It's sort of difficult to get stuff we need, wouldn't it? You think about the fabric that's woven into our community, woven into uh, life. I want you to think about how life works in general. Like, how does God provide for us the things that we need? Right? Part of the Lord's Prayer is that we should ask God not only for his kingdom to come, but that he would give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Well, how does he do that? Is that just a spiritual thing that God, he's just talking, or, or is this a very practical and physical thing? Keller, again, sort of writing... Uh, on this topic and and borrowing from Martin Luther, who we'll quote a little bit later, says it this way, that God himself, in his providential care, cares for, provides for his creation through working in and through our human vocation. So when we say, God, give us this day our daily bread, like he's working through people's everyday jobs to do that. God gives us our bread through by means of the farmer, the miller, and the baker. He protects us by means of the lawful magistrates. He creates and cares for new 
human beings by the means of fathers and mothers. He proclaims his word and administers his sacraments by means of pastors. He creates beauty by means of artists and musicians. And on and on we can go. The way that God provides for us the everyday things in our life is through the work of people. Listen, he doesn't have to do that. We know from different parts of the, the biblical history that if God wants to provide for his people, like he can straight up do that. He can, like he's caused manna and, and you know, quail to fall from heaven and just like he could provide for us in that way if he wanted. But no, he chooses to do it through the means of vocation and through society working together to serve one another. And so here, here's, the, here's the big idea that this is like, yes, he's done the manna and quail thing, but this is not his original design. The original design was work the garden, right? Uh, Kill the animals, catch the fish, eat it that way, and fill this earth and subdue it, right? Cultivate and build. So yes, he does the manna and quell thing for a season for his people while they're getting from slavery and into the promised land. But once they get in the promised land, it's, hey, go and cultivate this, this land, right? Enjoy it and, and build. And so it's, it's not the original design, nor is it a sustainable design. Rather, he has meant for us to work. So work, Keller defines as a vehicle for God's loving provision to the world. So now, if we take this back to our personal lives, what I want us to see is that we're all called and commissioned into our jobs as a way of serving God. It may not sound as spiritual, right, for you to, um, you know, work on power lines or gas lines or, like, work in the cafeteria or fill in the blank. It may not sound as spiritual as, as working in a church, but the reality is it's just as much a calling from God as my role is. So you think about it. What does Jesus say when he's asked what's the most important command? He says, to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what, but he quickly says something else. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said all the other commands, all the rest of the law rest on these two. Meaning if you, if you do those things, everything else is going to go really well. Listen. One of the ways, one of the primary ways that we live out loving our neighbor by doing our job. Right? And, and they all blend together in this beautiful tapestry of what God is doing in our lives and providing for us so that everyone who works, right, whether they're a Christian or not, is, is sort of playing their role in God's design. But the Christian, those of us that know Christ, our work gets to be informed by love, by loving our neighbor. It's not just doing a job and, you know, getting our time and, and having our paycheck and, you know, working for the weekend. That's the way the, the, the world's philosophers are going to frame that up. Aristotle talked about that. And, you know, we've had bands write songs about it, right, that we're just working so that we can not work, right? And we're just working so that we can vacation, working so that we can retire, working so that we can enjoy leisure. The gospel has a different story to tell. We're working at, by means of loving God and loving one another and fulfilling his kingdom come here on this earth in his creation. So it may be harder to see in some roles than the other, but I want you to lean in and ask God to speak into how does what you do every day bear its weight on the world for the kingdom of God. So, so here's the deal. This doesn't mean that there won't be some who are called into vocational ministry. I'm not saying that because Jesus certainly calls some people to lay down their nets, come follow him, and spend their time particularly working for the church. Right? And I pray that he continues to do more of that and send more of you overseas. Like, 
I hope that he does that, right? And I'm praying that, that he does it. So he will do that some. And it doesn't mean that everybody, like, some people do need to change their jobs because there are some jobs that have a, a, a particular evil and sinful bent that you can't really honor the Lord in and, and, and you, you might need to honor him by quitting that job. But for the most part, what it means is that we all lean into and begin to live out and serve God in our jobs exactly where we are. In fact, Okay, so not only are you not all called to, to do what I do. In fact, it says that our, my role, Alex's role, staff role, pastor's role is actually to not do all the ministry, but instead to equip you all, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. Right, so he's not going to call everybody to come up here on stage. Instead, he's going to call a few to equip you all to go and be the mat. Like how, look, Anthony talked about this a few weeks ago. How much more effective, how much more does the kingdom come if we don't all just bottleneck and wait on the ministers to do the work of the ministry? Instead, we all take it, and as we go, we minister. As we go, we do everything that we do unto the Lord, and we point to him, and we glorify him in our work. The kingdom has a much greater effect. It multiplies very quickly as all 150 of you go out into your workplaces and live where you live and do what you do and recreate where you're like, all of that, right? That's when the design of God is really having its full weight bearing on the world. So it's not that that we want to... devalue the work of clergy and ministers like what instead it's rather we we want to elevate the value of everybody else right so instead of just praying over people that are called to go into the mission field or praying over people that are called to come into ministry we should be thinking about that for all of us that we're all called into ministry it's just a matter of okay what does that look like where's our paycheck coming from but all of us are called into ministry like that's a part of our vocation as a part of our life the calling we celebrate often kind of marks the line when that person surrenders his or her life over to the purpose of, some, of serving someone else, right? We, we mark this, okay, this per, so-and-so is called into ministry. We're going to celebrate that now they're, they're not working in the world anymore. Instead, they're working solely for God. But, but, but reality, that should be true of all of us. That same sort of calling and commissioning should shape, should shape all of our lives in no matter what you do. So you are called to go and love his people and his world through your work. You and your role are the means by which God is providing for his world. It's not, that's that's significant. Verse 24 says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance and your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So here's the deal. Knowing your purpose Knowing the purpose of your work redefines the value that our work has. Because here's the deal. There's two ditches that we fall into when it comes to work, right? We either think that it doesn't matter, so we just sort of tolerate it and get through it. Or we think that it's the only thing that matters, and we overvalue it, and we become consumed by it, right? Those are sort of the two ditches that we fall into. Keller says it this way. He says, work is not all there is to life. You will not have a meaningful life without work, okay, But you cannot say that your work is the meaning of your life. If you make any work the purpose of your life, even if that work is church ministry, then you create an idol that rivals God. Here's what he's saying. If we let our work be the ultimate purpose, then we're constantly going to be experiencing either being puffed up by our success or being crushed by our failures. Okay, If work and what we do defines us, then we're going to be riding that, that ebb and flow of, okay, we're do, things are going really well, so I, I, I have pride in that, and I'm sort of 
resting in my own ability, or when things are not going well, we're going to be crushed in despair and depression because that's our identity. Knowing that it is the Lord that we serve, as the passage says here, it's the Lord that you serve, it's he that will give you your inheritance and your reward, knowing that sets us free from both of those things. And here's the deal, it makes us dangerous to the enemy. I want you to remember, like back in the garden, the way that he got this whole thing off the rails was by convincing Adam and Eve that God was holding out on them, that God's way of providing was not the best way, that, that there was something more that God was holding out that he didn't want them to experience the, the real good stuff, so they needed to take things in their own hands and, and get what they could get, and, and so he, he deceived them in that way, and that is the same lie that he's going to try to tell you and me just in a different, it's just framed up and packaged differently. That's what he wants all of us to believe, right, that God's provision for us is not Sufficient. We got to get what we can. We got to get as much as we can, and we because he's like he's holding out. Like what we really need is success or money or material gains. Like and he's going to whisper all of that. But knowing that that no no no, the Lord is the one who's called us to this work. It's His work. We get to labor in it, and He's the one that's going to handle the reward. He's the one that's going to provide for us, and that sets us free to not be pulled in either one of those directions. Right. That sets us free from like being caught up in our work and believing it's the only thing that matters so that we become workaholics and we're just idolizing it and we get lost in that world of achieving, succeeding, and just getting all that we can. But it also sets us free from being like just totally indifferent to work and just, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Instead, it allows us to posture ourselves in such a way that we are humbly secure in what God is doing in our lives and in the particular role that he's called us to in this season. And then if that role, that job, that career is taken from us, that doesn't mean our life is over. Because God, our good Father, knows our needs and he'll provide for us. So that sets us free to live in a way that Satan can't pull us into either one of those ditches. And instead, we get to work and have our bearing on the world in a way that brings witness and glory to God. That we're, we, can be, like, we can still be ambitious, we can still speak truth to power, but we do so humbly. So knowing this, it frees you from being identified by your work. And the gospel redefines our work for us to know that we're working for God and unto his end. And so therefore, it is neither meaningless. Our jobs are neither meaningless or ultimate. It keeps going. Verse 25 it says, it's going to talk about a perspective. He says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And there's no partiality. Okay, so he's talking about something specific there. But I think the, the big idea is it, it changes our perspective of what, like, like the ultimate, like what, again, where this thing is headed, right? Right perspective on where this is going, the tagline for our series, understanding our present in light of God's future. When we know where this is headed, it brings value, like not only value, but right perspective to our efforts. And so whatever you're doing, know that it is, it is not in vain. Here's one of the biggest reasons I've been excited to kind of preach this message, is, or this series, is because I don't want us to think that we just kind of do all that we can. We work, and we try to honor God in our work, and then when he comes back, like, it just, none of it matters, and we go do the heaven thing now. Instead, it's, it's not that what we're doing and what we're laboring in is, will no longer matter. Instead, it's what, it'll be actually fully fulfilled, right? It's not in vain. Our work is not in vain. In fact, Again, whenever he comes back, it's quite the contrary. It'll be fully realized and, and fulfilled. So here's, here's, let me just say it this way. The work that we have strived to do will be perfected. 
Right? So those of you who have labored to build, and I can't go through all of vocations, but just a few. Those of you who have labored, labored to build in the trades and in architecture and in engineering, all of those, or to repair what has already been built, on that day when the heaven, when, when God's kingdom is fully come, you will see your work perfected into everlasting dwelling places for the people of God. Like there will be architecture, there will be construction in the new heaven and the earth. Those who have worked to bring health into a world that is sick, right, that worked in the medicine field, will see all disease fully extinguished. It won't be that your work hasn't mattered. It will be that it matters immensely, so much so that Jesus has come to make it fully realized. Those of you who have worked in education to labor with our kiddos will see all knowledge fully realized in the face of the Creator. And every child, every child of God will be fully caught up and present in the things that matter. Those who labor in the, in the world of, of law will see it fully established and perfectly just. Those of you who are in law enforcement or attorneys or, or like fill in the blank, like you'll see it fully brought. Those that... Again, as it says, those the wrongdoer will be paid back in full. Like justice will be served and full realization of God's law will be established. And you will rejoice in that. You, in that moment, you won't feel like you have labored in vain. You'll instead feel like God has been laboring with you and he's finishing this work and you'll rejoice in that. Those who labor in the tech world to enable commerce and information exchange, all like you, you'll celebrate on the day that all knowledge will be fully known and available in the face of the living God, and you'll rejoice that what you worked on in part has now become full. Those who labor in the world of social work to push back the darkness in our society will see f- fully, will see justice brought fully, you'll see healing and wholeness come true. Again, your labors will not be lost. Instead, they will be breathed on and fully realized. The evil which taints so many of the industries we know about will be gone. Pride, greed, lust, perversion, all of it will be no more on that day. So yes, your work matters. And in the the new heaven and the new earth, it will all be fully realized. It won't be diminished. It won't be thrown away. It'll be breathed on by the giver of life, and it'll be made perfect. It'll be made fully fully realized into what we've longed for it to be. And then lastly, Colossians 4.1 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Knowing that your job matters to God should then inform how you do your job. And by implication, so how does God matter to your job? How does it inform then, okay, our, our work matters. Hopefully we've seen that, but what, what change does it make in the way that we go to work? Well, here's what, like, Martin Luther said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes. Sometimes we think about that, okay, to, to glorify God in our work, we've got to kind of Christianize everything. Right, as though there's a Christian way to compose music or there's a Christian way to perform that, that music or a Christian way to build that chair. When in reality, like, that, like he doesn't want this over, like, subculturized like, Christianity piece. Instead, what Martin Luther says, it's not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making really good shoes. The way that the shoemaker glorifies God is not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making really good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. So it means that you, so here's what this means that you should do your job really, really well. That there's no excuses for slacking off. 
that God expects us to perform with high integrity and put out high quality. There's an article on your app by John Piper talking about how to glorify God in your work. I would encourage you to, to dive deeper in that and really ask God to shape you and inform how you go to work. But here's the, here's the big deal. We, we recognize that when we represent Jesus in the workplace, if we're Christ followers, how we treat others, how diligently and faithfully we do our work reflects on our Lord. I'll say that again. When we recognize that as Christ followers, when we go into the workplace, how we treat others and how diligently and faithfully we do our work, that reflects on our Lord. How well do your actions fit in with our Lord? How, much are you, how well are you representing? Because that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. One of the most powerful things you can do to a non-Christian is to repent to them. Is to own up whenever you've made a mistake, whenever you have crossed a line. To tell them that, man, that's not how God's called you to live and you're grieved and you need to apologize to them. So it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means you're living out the values of the gospel in your workplace. Working in Jesus' name also implies that, that we live recognizing that he is our master, right? As it says, that you yourself have a master in heaven there in verse 4, 1, or chapter 4, verse 1. And like he's the one that we're ultimately accountable to. Yes, we may have a job, we may have a boss that oversees us, but ultimately we are accountable to him. So this leads to Paul's reminder that we should work for the Lord and not for human masters. Yes, we most likely will have horizontal accountability on the job, but the diligence we bring to our work comes from the recognition that in the end, God is our judge. In the end, God is the one that we're working for. He's the one that's providing for us through our work, and he's the one that we will ultimately answer to. So, as we close, I want you to just let a few questions shape how you approach your work. Just have you viewed your work? In the, like, have you allowed your work to be diminished and, and really you wonder if it even matters at all? Or are you on the other side of that where you've allowed your work to become ultimate, become the only thing that matters, become the thing that defines you? What is God asking us to change in this, from this sermon, from this, this series, this, this perspective on our work? What is God is asking you to change? How can we leverage our work for God's glory? How does his purpose for our work bring us joy and keep us out of despair? Move this out of just ethereal talk from the, from the preacher and into your own life. How does this theology of vocation, as Martin Luther would call it, how does it inform your level of joy that is sustainable in your week week to week. It should not just be this high peak on Sundays and then you just like just barely get through the week. Like God wants you to have a sustainable amount of purpose and joy as you go into the world, as you live out your vocations. And then are we training our, our children, our kids, our students, are we training them to see their careers as something to be leveraged for God and for the gospel? Right? We're used to having conversations with our kids about what they're going to do, right? Is it going to make you a good living? Is it, like, and we should be, I'm not saying we shouldn't have those conversations, but do we stop there? And just the practicality and enjoyability of the, of the job and the, you know, does it make good, or are we teaching them to leverage their work, leverage their career, and to think about how God might want to use them for his glory through their work? That might mean that you've got to start having some conversations instead of just going through the motions that you have to sort of change how you approach your job. 
My hope is that the kingdom would come, not just in the spiritual things that we talk about, but as we all leave here and go and do our work, that we would, the kingdom would come, we would feel God's purpose, we would feel his pleasure on us as we go and fulfill his design and know that, yes, the curse has brought difficulty and tears and struggle to your job. The Bible's not denying that. What he's saying is the gospel has come to, to make that new to begin reconciling, restoring, that you should be able to, yes, you're going to be frustrated by things, but you have a greater sense of purpose because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is going to do. Our hope lies in a Savior who's come into our mess. and He lived the life that we could not live. And then he died the death on the cross that we deserve to die. And then he was resurrected and burst forth out of the grave in a victory that we could not ever achieve. And, and he gives it to us and calls us to follow him, calls us to come to him for life, come to him for purpose, let our lives be defined by him so that we can go and have a right perspective as we enter into our workplace, so that we don't fall into the ditch of meaninglessness or idolatry when we approach our work. Jesus wants you to have joy in your job. He wants you to have purpose in your job. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for your word that it speaks to things that we not only deeply care about, but just that are present in our life. I pray that you would bring hope, you would bring purpose, and you would bring repentance. Maybe even that through repentance, we would find hope and purpose in our work today. Lord, for those of us that need to Repent of not taking our job seriously and just going through motions. Would you give us direction on that? For those of us who have placed our full trust and identity in our work, would you, would you help us to see that we are loved by you, the creator of the world, and that is our main identity. That, we've been, that Jesus' death on the cross is what defines us and not our work. Would you help us to know that and rest in that today and help us to live well, to to work well, to love our neighbor well, to bring your kingdom to bear on this world as we live out your design in our jobs. Help us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.